What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. It's been a long couple of months since football ended, but we finally have reached an oasis in the middle of the content desert. Spring football officially starts later this week for the Oregon Ducks, and I can't wait to get into all of that, and I will be doing so with the one and only Jeff Schwartz, a former Oregon great, an eight-year NFL veteran, someone who works for Fox Sports right now. You can hear him on Sirius XM Radio as well. We're going to talk about Oregon's Pro Day that's coming up on Tuesday, and specifically some of the offensive line prospects that Oregon has um, trying to get into the NFL next year, and, and we're going to dive headfirst into the Oregon spring season as well. After that, I want to touch quickly on basketball for the Ducks and preview the upcoming tournament games for both teams. Neither Dana Altman or Kelly Graves were able to get into the NCAA tournament this year, unfortunately, with uh, the men's team losing to UCLA in the semifinals of the Pac-12 tournament and the women's team ending the year on the wrong side of the bubble looking in. Both teams will be playing in the NIT, though, so there is more basketball on the horizon, and I want to get into that a little bit. All right, that is the plan. There's a lot of the schedule, so let's get into it. It is about 11 a.m. on Monday morning Pacific time as we record this, and I'm thrilled to bring on Jeff Schwartz, former eight-year NFL pro and the host of the Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You podcast. Jeff is also a co-host of Pac-12 Today on Sirius XM Radio, and he works with Fox Sports as well. He's a very busy man, so I'm fortunate that he's given me a little bit of his time to talk about the Ducks. Jeff, thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. You know, we have all this NFL action with free agency, and then it's like all of a sudden it's like, hey, wait, wait, we got college football. We got pro days and spring ball happening around the country right now. I know Oregon's kind of gearing up for 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 their spring ball pretty soon. So um, there's always football, man. It's it's the best sport to cover. It really is. It it never stops. I mean, between the season, recruiting, and then you know, if you got your own free agency with the transfer portal now, and like you said, pro day. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we can we could get into the transfer portal, I'm sure. But I want to start with this. I want to start with Oregon's pro day. It's on Tuesday. This episode is actually going to come out on Tuesday. So you know, if you're listening to this, the pro day is probably going on right now. We obviously talk a ton about Christian Gonzalez and Noah Sewell and even DJ Johnson, but. I want to shed some light on the big boys up front, the Alex Forsythe, the TJ Bass, Big Sala. You are, of course, the perfect guy to help me do that. I think it's safe to say that with the three of them, this is not to be harsh at all, but I think that they were relatively mundane at the combine this year. I don't think they did anything that really, you know, made them stand apart from the rest of the group. I'm curious, did you see anything at the combine or not see something that you expected to see from those guys? What was your kind of overall takeaway from their play? Well, you know, I think I think they they needed to see at the combine like a little more athleticism. Like that thing was their knock. If you watch Oregon's offensive line play, especially the older guys, I think they lacked athleticism. And and that again, when I say like they're bad, doesn't mean they play in the NFL. Just that was a, a glaring. I think if you look at the the guys up for the draft, like yeah, they're not terribly athletic. And then they ran at the combine, not terribly. Athletic. Guess what? I was someone who was terribly athletic, and I went to the combine, <laughs> and guess what? I wasn't terribly athletic, right? I had like one of the worst, the worst verticals in combine history. Okay, so I'm allowed to talk <laughs> about this. Um, and so I think that that was the thing that kind of, you know, if you're looking at, they didn't help themselves, but they kind of boxed themselves into that category of like, yeah, they're they're not terribly athletic. So I think it, it didn't help them much uh, the way that they worked out. But look, I think it's important. The NFL teams don't do this enough. 
watch the film. They watch the film, of course. But with offensive linemen, is they say, look, we look for these intangibles and, and these like and 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 in these things that we you know the 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 intangibles, obviously, but then the tangibles, right? The forty time and the show and great. But do they block guys? Like Alex Forsythe just blocks guys. He just blocks guys <laughs> in front of him. He does a good job of blocking people in front of him. Don't overthink it, right? Bass. Just blocks guys in front of him. Don't over, he won't play tackle in the NFL. He'll no. play guard. But just don't overthink it, right? Just don't overthink it. He he does well. He'll do well in the NFL. Now, these guys are probably going to be sixth, seventh-round draft picks. I don't expect them to go much higher than that, I would imagine. But all they did in college was block people. And I expect them to do the same thing in the NFL. Yeah, their athleticism is not great. I get it. It's fine. But at guard and center, you don't have to be the best athlete to win at those positions. And so I think they're going to be just fine uh, when 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 they get in the NFL. Solid to me is probably an undrafted free agent type of guy. Um, mm-hmm. To me, it's 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 more of a fit for for him, kind of getting into the right offense and finding a good fit for for what he does well. Yeah, that's it's kind of interesting that I mean, with any position in the combine, we get so bogged down in this you know their forty time or their vertical or or broad jump, and with the offensive line, like you said, it's really. Cut and dry. I mean, are they good at their position? Do they block well? I mean, it doesn't matter how fast they can run forty yeah. yards down the field. When are they going to ever do do that in the NFL? Look, I, I do think it is there is some importance to the testing, right? Like we we know yes. that it's very specific, but the short shuttle for offensive linemen. If you hit a certain number, like four four and under, you're going to be good. Like we we've seen the results. Like eighty five percent of those play really really well in the NFL. And they make Pro Bowls, and they're great players. Like they're, you know, certain guys that if you're an offensive tackle, you run a four eight forty, you're probably going to be pretty athletic. We know those things, right? Yeah. But I think we go in the other extreme where it's like we only draft guys based off these 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 numbers. And and I think with some of the guys in Oregon, especially, they they just block the guys in front of them. Calvin Throckmorton, who's been in the NFL now what three years, continues to play for the Saints. Like, is a good football player. He's in the same boat, right? Didn't do great at the combine. Not the best athlete. Guess what? He's starting games in the NFL, and he will continue to start games for as long as teams will have him in the NFL. So he's a good example of a guy who um, was probably downgraded a little bit too much because he didn't run well at the combine. But all he did in college was block people in front of him. So just don't just don't overthink it. So I want to touch quickly on Christian Gonzalez. Is there anything left that he needs to prove? I mean, Oregon's pro day on Tuesday. Would if you were him, would you even? Do drills? Would you even run? About it? I feel like he's kind of solidified no, himself I, as a top ten I, pick. I would imagine he does position drills. And that's about it. He's. I mean, he okay. ran a, a time that he was supposed to run. But look, he's. It's a family full of sprinters. I mean, he was going to run yeah. fast. Like that's exactly. what. That's no surprise there. Um, no, I, I would do position drills, and that's about it. There's no other reason for him to do much else. I mean, right now there's only downside. Right? It's only, and it's a rare. You know, the rare possibility um, of of guys getting hurt, which again, you you, you never want. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. So what is your outlook for Noah Sewell? It feels like a year ago, his stock would, would have been a lot higher in the draft than it is right now. He had a relative down year in Eugene. I don't know if that was because of his own poor player. What I would say is more of a, a lack of fit in Dan Lanning's system, but it feels like his stock has dropped. How do you see him kind of excelling at the next level? Um, I, again, it's. Scouts have to figure out whether or not the this year was a product of, you know, was it was the, was the defense too much for him, right? Mm-hmm. Was he asked to do too much? Was it a product of just he he got he got worse, right? Like, I I don't know. Um, 
they have to figure that out. And because his athletic traits are there, like we know he can play. We know mm-hmm. all of that. But other thing, again, like this is why fit is so important in the NFL. There are certain defenses that there are better fits for him, I feel like, right? Like Definitely. New England, for example, has typically has played like bigger middle linebackers, guys that we saw him last year rush the passer a bunch on third down. That's what New England does, right? Like they rush the passer with their linebackers. Like there's certain places. Now, if you're going to put him in like a Tampa two where he's dropping and covering, probably not what he does well. So no. he he has a place in the NFL. It's a matter of, of fit. So yeah, definitely. So let's talk about this current team. I want to talk. I'm going to start with the coaching staff. Obviously, the the loss of Adrian Clem was significant, but I think there seems to be a lot of positive buzz around the the hiring of Alik Terry. I was particularly impressed with the hiring of Mike Kavanaugh as an assistant and an offensive analyst. I'm curious, do you have any thoughts or any experience with either of these two coaches? I know that Kavanaugh was in Oregon State for a long time, I think, when you were playing. Um, what are your what were your kind of initial thoughts when you heard those hires? Um, so Terry, um, you know, he coached one year in Hawaii as an offensive line coach, goes to Minnesota, assistant D-line coach comes back, right? He's young. The guys mm-hmm. like him a lot, right? But he's he's green. He hasn't had a lot of experience coaching. Now he learned from from you know from Cristobal and, and Maribel, and they like him a lot. Like they like him a lot. I know Clem liked him a lot. All those things like they, they liked they liked him, but young, right? Like hasn't done this at a high level yet. But again, there's a lot of hope he can do it at a high level. Great recruiter, like he's going to fit in great in that part of what Landing wants. Then you hire Kavanaugh, who is a fantastic offensive line coach, right? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't want to recruit anymore. He doesn't want to do all those things. Like he's a coach. Like he's been coaching for 30 years. I remember when I was at, at Oregon, he was at Oregon State. All those guys he put in the NFL, right? Andy yeah. Levitri, Kyle Devan. For so many years, they're putting guys in the NFL, putting guys in the NFL, putting guys in the NFL. And he just wants to coach. Doesn't want to recruit. And so now he can do that, right? You have Coach Kavanaugh who can kind of teach a leak sort of like how to coach, right? Like how to do it at a big-time program. And not have to deal with kind of the minutia of recruiting so much. And then Terry can learn how to write to l- learn with, from Kavanaugh, but he's the big dog, of course, and then mm-hmm. go do all the recruiting. And this feels like almost like the perfect match of what the blend of sort of how this might go moving forward of older coaches that don't really want to, that still want to coach, but don't really want to recruit anymore. And if they make analyst roles, I think they're going to let them coach, right? They're going to yeah. let them on field coach. I think so. Soon. I think they changed how this so, year. Yeah. So like, it's perfect, right? You have, again, you have Terry is like the young kid who is going to be really good as a coach, but it's green, right? He needs a little he's bit of Mike face, Kavanaugh's yeah. life. Yes. Kavanaugh's like, cool with this. He's totally fine with it. He's like, <laughs> great. Like, let me just, let me just coach, man. Like, yeah. let me scheme up things. Let me help you out where, where I can help you out. Like, again, you're the big dog. You just let me help you out. Let me coach. Like, I think it's the best of both worlds. I really love the hire because look, again, Terry has not a lot of experience doing this. And that's a position offensive line where experience is sort of helpful. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, Clement coached a lot of football. Maribel coached a lot of football. It's it's helpful. It's helpful to, to have coach and football in that position. So um I uh I, I love what Landing did there. It's a really it's it's a really uh you know, kind of a smooth hiring there. Well, and I also love it too, because not just on the offensive line, but I feel like this coaching staff, kind of what it needed last year was just more veteran experience, more veteran voices in the coaching staff. Because, you know, you look across the board, it's pretty young. I mean, you got a lot of guys in their 30s and their early 40s. You lose Clem, who was one of your veteran most coaches last year. 
But now you get you get this veteran experience and this voice on the sideline to help landing in those late, you know, fourth quarter decision making times where it's it's fourth and three against Oregon State. Are you going to go yeah. for it on your own side of the ball or own side of the fifty or not? So I liked it for that reason. It was like you said, it was just really go good for it all the time. Just do it. Just go for it. Just like just I'm, run it. Just go. For, I'm 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 so fine with going for it. Like. Here's one thing. I'll give I'll give you one nugget here. So y'all duck fans can, can can go back and watch it. I don't want to. I, I don't like to put. If you notice, my Twitter is mostly positive. I don't try to put guys on blast. It's like not kind of my thing, especially offensive linemen. Watch the Washington play, the fourth down play where the, where mm-hmm. it was uh, Irving or Whittingham fell, whoever fell down with Ty in the game. The the right guard, he missed his block. The yeah. right guard, if your right guard blocks his guy. The running back hits his head in the goalpost. Like it's a touchdown. So like sometimes like it's not always the coaching guys. It's the block. Like, it's sometimes it's everybody. Right? Like you call a good play, and someone screws up. Yeah. Like I'm fine with being aggressive. Just be aggressive. Like guys, if we can't execute. stop what we're gonna say for running the football, like I, the fourth down doesn't matter. Like so, yeah. be aggressive, coach. Keep, keep it. I agree. Yes. We've talked we've talked about it before. I think we agree that last season was pretty encouraging. I know there was obviously some things to clean up, but. What do you think Dan did this offseason that encourages the encourages you the most, if that makes sense? Where do you think this team has potential to improve the most next year? Um, I well, I, I mean, it's clear what he's trying to do, which is defensive line. I yes. mean, I and I and and I think ideally, if you look at what Georgia does, what somebody, one of the knocks on some of the Georgia guys is that they don't play enough. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, like, oh, they don't play 40 snaps a game. Like, yeah, that's what they want. They only have to, yeah. No, but I think ideally, though, you want your defensive line to be fresh. Like, you want to have eight guys that you rotate in there. We saw, what, 10 defensive line recruits, I think, Mm -hmm. plus Jordan Birch. Like, he wants this rotation. He wants to have eight to ten guys. Like, okay, you're tired. Get someone else in there. Get fresh. Because if you look at the Pac-12 conference, offense is not a problem. You look at Oregon and you look at Washington and even Oregon State and USC and UCLA – not a problem at all. Defense, right? Who's gonna who's gonna set themselves apart this season? It's who can stop somebody. Oregon yeah. could not hit the passer last year and obviously got run over against Oregon State. So I think he looked at it as like, look, we need to stop the run and rush the passer. And he said, look, let's go get his let's go get bodies. Like, let's get dudes. Mm-hmm. I love the approach, man. He's the only one doing it. Look, USC, man, have your offense all you want. You signed yeah. like one four-star <laughs> defensive lineman in your class. Like, fine, like. Be my guest. Like, yeah, they signed the Anthony Lucas kid. Okay, you have two. You have two guys. Congratulations. Like, you need eight. Look, Georgia this year had a true freshman defensive tackle get a sack against TCU in that title game. A mm-hmm. true freshman defensive tackle. He'd be the best guy in the Pac-12 conference. That's what Oregon <laughs> needs. Like, that's what I think Dan Lanning's trying to do right now. It, it might not be as great as Georgia, but I appreciate the approach. Of like we need to get beefier on the defensive line. Yeah, he's he's really bringing that kind of SEC mentality, and we knew that he was going to try and do that coming to to Oregon, and it's it's been really nice to actually see that happen. So, um, obviously, in the spring, it's hard to find fans or media members, much like myself, who aren't feeling pretty bullish when it comes to predictions. I'm on the record as saying that I believe this team should make the Pac-12 title. I think it's kind of a disappointment if they don't, and. Um, I think that they could very well make the college football playoff as well, but there are a number of things that could kind of stop that from happening. First off, do you think I am a bit over my skis thinking that this team could compete for a playoff? Well, I just think in, in our conference, it's uh, it's very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. 
it's just it's a it's just a very competitive um a very competitive uh league this year and mm-hmm. it just feels difficult to st- I, I think the team is good enough to win the Pac-12 conference, mm-hmm. but I think it's hard to say like they're a playoff team. You know, it's it's just difficult. I think I think I want to see how the defense is. If the defense is much better, sure. It's just mm-hmm. a tough conference, man. Like you're at Washington. The schedule is pretty good, I think. It's not really yeah. that difficult. But you have that Washington, Washington State, Utah stretch. Yeah, sort of tough. in that. Like it's just so you got to go twelve and one. I, it, Here's the thing, though. I, I said this for a while, and I think that you can still have a good season eleven and two. Like, yeah, I think that we, uh, but they. Uh, but the one thing, I, the one thing I, I do kind of like is that um, you can kind of like. I feel like this year we're sort of under the radar. Mm-hmm. Like we're kind of like, you know, the USC love and Utah does very deservingly for Utah, Washington, the greatest team of all time up in Washington. Like it, you know, they, there's just like. We're kind of just like floating under the radar, which I kind of like. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. So if this team were to lose, you say three or four games again this year, what do you think the reasoning would be? I know that my reasoning, I think it might be because the offensive line, I'm just not quite sure what we're going to get from there yet because they're trying to replace so many starters. You've got such a young coach. I know we talked about the coaching staff already, but if they kind of underperform and under succeed, I think that it's, it may be because the offensive line wasn't able to get back to the same level of play as last year. What do you think that reasoning um, would be? Well, I mean, I think, I think that the reasoning is just maybe Bo Nix is just takes a step back from last season. Like that was a one hit wonder type of season to me. And then the defense just doesn't rush the passer again. Okay. I mean, that's, I think what it is, but you know, Oregon wins a lot of games. Dan mm-hmm. Lanning was a fifth coach to win 10 games in the last 15 years in Oregon. Like mm-hmm. they, they win a lot of football games. Um, and I would expect them to win a lot of football games again. They don't have damn Georgia on the, on the schedule. So that's hopefully your three, no, at a, at a conference play yeah. in Colorado. So hopefully you're four, no, uh, in your first four games. And then you go from there. I, again, I would imagine that he looks at the fourth quarter, the fourth down decision making and, and figures out kind of what he wants to be, uh, mm-hmm. in that regard. But if Bonick doesn't get hurt and we, we beat Washington, then we're not even having a discussion probably. Right. Yeah, so Absolutely. I, I think ten wins is always the goal, um, and I think that's very attainable each season if you're Oregon. What are your kind of expectations for this offensive line? I mean, trying to replace so many pieces. Do you think that they can get close to what they were last year? Do you think that's a long shot, or what do you think? Well, they're very talented, right? Um, you look mm-hmm. at, at and obviously Connor Lee playing left tackle, and then Wood Harper is going to play left guard, I imagine. And then probably you have- guard. You and got you Cornelius have, out at right tackle. Right. And then you have JPJ at center, and you have the Texas kid at right guard, right? The transfer. Or Stephen Jones. Stephen Jones yeah. coming back. He was hurt for all um, season. So it's a pretty good, it's a very it's a it's a it's a more physically talented line than last season. I'll mm-hmm. be young, right? Like just not Correct. as and I think it's just a lot. And this is why I think the Kavanaugh hire is so good, man. Like you, you have this combination of what Elite Terry learned from you know from 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 Maribel and his time in Hawaii as a coach. And he kind of again that year in Hawaii was so screwy. What Kavanaugh knows obviously for so many years with what Will Stein can kind of bring to the offense. It's a very RPO-based offense. If you kind of stay at a third down, which is the idea for most offenses, you're probably going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a lot, you know, I think to um to to like about the offensive line. It's just gonna take some time to gel. But look again, you're not starting with Georgia. So you have time. Yeah. So they figured out for the first month of the season. I mean, tech will be difficult. Obviously, you're under 
are on the road for that game. But mm-hmm. I, think, I think the talent's there, man. I think you'll be okay. I had Joey on the podcast, Joey Harrington, of course, on the podcast about a month ago, and I asked him this question. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Is there anything that you will see in the spring game or in practices leading up to the spring game this year that will either give you supreme confidence going forward or contrarily maybe temper your expectations for this team? Um, I would say uh, probably probably not. Um mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's funny. The first play of the spring game last year, they threw that deep pass, and everyone was like, yeah. "Oh my god, it was the seven McGee didn't even play last yeah. season." Yeah, transfer so like, portal. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I, I mean, I think with Will Stein against a different sort of offense than what Kenny Dillingham was running. So, kind of, I'm curious, like, how that looks. Mm-hmm. I think defensively, too. You know, any sort of structural changes? I think we saw I, we saw a tiny bit of that in the bowl game. It's very X and O's kind of boring scheme stuff that I noticed on defense. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious if they go more in that direction, like it would the, the defense was very Georgia ish heavy, like mm-hmm. scheme wise and the bowl game. It wasn't so much They're a little mm-hmm. more kind of up the field pass rush attacking, which again, they didn't do all season. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of curious. I'm just curious how that goes, but not really. I mean, the spring game now is yeah. they, don't, they don't show us very much. Um, you know, how many true freshmen are getting a little bit of run would be nice yeah. to see how the transfers are fitting in, especially as you mentioned, the offensive line, you know, how does Birch look on rushing the passer? How does some of the secondary pieces look as far as, you know, the, you know, Phil and Gonzalez's role. So there's a lot of little things, but not, not nothing big where I say like, Oh man, I feel different about this team. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel that way. I think that's what I'm most curious about is watching the secondary and seeing where they use those pieces and how they use those pieces. I mean, is Triquez still going to be a cornerback? There's been talk about him maybe going to safety. Do you have Jaleer Florence, Julia Florence? Do you have Dante Manning? I mean, Jaleel yeah. Tucker. There's a bunch of these guys that, you know, they've got the talent. They just don't have the experience. So that's what I'm going to be mainly looking for. But like you said, yeah, the spring game, it's it's hard to take too many major takeaways out of it. All right, let's end it um, with these. I've got some rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Name one offensive player that you cannot wait to watch in 2023, not named Bo Nix or Troy Franklin. Ooh, um, the the running back, the recruit from Mississippi, the 6'2 kid. Dante Dowdell. Great yes, answer. that kid, yeah. I love yeah. him. I can't wait yeah. to watch him. All right, yeah. one, I, I, one defense. He looks, he's like, he's like, he's oh, like he's big, huge, man. Yeah, he's yeah. Gonna, I think he's going to fill that that Jordan James role and be your kind of short short down short yardage back and and maybe get some of those touchdowns so I can't wait for him. Um one defensive player you can't wait to watch not named Jordan Birch. Uh well they, I mean that that's the that's the guy. I mean he's the he's the one everyone wants to watch, right? I mean like That's why I took him the, off the board. I mean that's the only answer because like like he is the guy that I think like you, you have to for for them to do for them to like be what what you want them to be, he has to be that guy. Like he has to be the guy who has to rush the passer. I mean, I, I, and I don't even know like what else you can really like look at and say like, yo, he's. Let me see who else I want. Let me see who else I want to look at. Um, uh, look at the depth chart now because he's the one guy that like I was like, yo, I really got to watch. Like, what are you gonna know? What are you gonna see from a defensive back? Like, you're not. I don't know. I mean. I want to see Taishim Johnson, the the safety transfer from Old Miss. I think he fills a nickelback role that they yeah, didn't but, but, really have last year. So I just want to see how he fits in that defense. 
Yeah, but you you can't really see that in spring, in my opinion. You can see That's the pass true. rusher. You could be like, you know, that guy rushes the he rushes the passer really well. Um, you know what? I want to see. Uh, you know, what? here's a, here's a, here's a random one. I want to see that Australian punter, man. We 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 need some like we need some punting help. Luke Dunn. The, we know the, nothing about him. I like. I want to see this kid, this Australian punter. That's who I want to see. They, like he's it's, like, how is like twenty six years old? Is he like super old too? Like I want to see this this kid funny. from Australia. When his signing was announced, we're on a text chain with a bunch of the other beat reporters, and we all texted each other. We're like, does anyone know anything about this kid? Can we find any like actual tangible information? Is this guy even real? So I actually think that's a great answer. And, and then the kicker was like a six star. He wasn't even a five star. Yeah. He was six stars. Oh, Graham Meadors. Yeah. 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 He's supposed yeah, to be really the, good. The Chris Sailor camp. So yeah, um, whatever that means. We're, we're hitting special teams pretty hard. Um, hey, they I need do, the special the one, team. So I think the one. Um, the one interesting kid on defense, you know, Bennett Williams' brother, uh, the Fresno kid. Evan, yeah. Um, I, you know, it, I don't know if he's going to, you know, you lost a bunch of like veterans kind of in that defensive secondary last three or four or five years. Mm-hmm. He kind of just feels like, feels like that role maybe kind of like fills in that, that leadership role pretty mm-hmm. quickly. And I'm kind of curious how, again, hard to see in spring practice, yeah. but um, kind of curious about that. I like that. And Bennett's been very straightforward about saying like, oh, Evan is Evan's better than me. Like this is a better football player. So uh, I think I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see him. Um, I would argue that last year, Adrian Klim or Kenny Dillingham was the winner of this award, but who was the unofficial award winner of the best coach on the team after this year? Best position coach. Um, Let's see. Best position coach after this year. I mean, I, I didn't like, I think for Oregon to be, what they want to be, it, it has to be Tosh Lapoy. Like, okay. like, or like it has to be like someone on defense, mm-hmm. D coordinator, defensive line coach, something like that. Okay. Two more. Does Bo Nix end up in New York for the Heisman ceremony in December? I don't think so. No. Okay. All you, right. Last. You're going to end up with like, that's, uh, that's too hard to predict. I would say no. Okay. One basketball one to close it out. If Dana misses the NCAA tournament again next season, do we see him back for 2024 or does he retire? I mean, they got all those four and five star kids to make the tournament. It's not going to be good, right? Um, yeah. This year was a weird year, man. Like, I you watch this team play and you're like, what do we, what, like, you, usually you can't have the guy who touches the ball the most scared to shoot. I, like, exactly. I, I, I just can't. You can't have the guy, touch, like, you look at UCLA and Tiger Campbell. He's doing. He's doing everything for them, right? I mean, he's the leader of the team. He's again, like things don't things break down for the Bruins. Guess what? The fifth year senior mm-hmm. makes all the plays for them. Yep. Oregon, you're like, come on, Will, like do something, yeah. buddy, and nothing happens. And that's like the difference between winning and losing at that level, especially in tournament time. Like the best teams in tournament time, point guards, man, guys have the ball in their hand every single possession. And Oregon just didn't have that this year. I, otherwise, I thought they had some good good players, but the offense would just not score for four or five, six minutes at a time. And I go back to the point guard. He has the ball in his hand. He's starting the offense. He's possession. Got to get something more from, from Will. So I, I think they'll be better next year as they kind of structure, you know, kind of like move guys out of the, of the lineup. I just hope to God that they get one person who can shoot over 35% from three point. That's, that's all yeah, that, I want. That, that's all I want to see. That feels like a transfer portal thing, right? Like they, like they to have be. to just get someone to um, to do that. Like just find a mercenary, like just I someone mean, who's who can shoot. Just like Landing went out and got Birch to to rush the passer this year. Just 
Dana, go out and find someone who all they do is just spot up in the corner, spot up on the wing, and just shoot, knock down shots. That's all you need. Because that would have changed this entire team if they had one of those this year. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's end it on that. You can check out his podcast, Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You, or listen to him on Pac-12 Today on Sirius XM 373. He's had me on a number of times to talk about the Ducks, and I'm always very thankful for the opportunity. It was a pleasure to have you on, Jeff. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. Take care. Before we get out of here, let's talk about basketball for a minute. The uh, the NCAA tournament brackets came out officially on Sunday. It was Selection Sunday, and to nobody's surprise, neither of the Oregon teams made the cut, and instead they will be going to the NIT. The men's team, it came out, would host UC Irvine in the first round on Wednesday night, which is kind of ironic because that's a, that's a team that beat them earlier this year, arguably, arguably one of the worst losses of the season, and one that you know is is part of the reason why the Ducks missed out on March Madness in the first place. If they had if they had beaten UC Irvine and maybe beaten Stanford or Washington or Utah Valley, they're probably not in this position and they're probably getting into March Madness. So you have to feel good that if the Ducks play to their potential, then they can make a deep run in the NIT. But I think it's fair to question at this point, you know, the drive and the energy level that they have going into this tournament after missing out on the big dance. I know that. You know, for any college basketball player, the main goal is to make it to March Madness and make a deep run. And uh, they were unable to do that this year. Of course, they unable to do it last year as well. So um, I think it's fair just to, you know, to be curious to see how much energy they play with and how how badly they want to win and actually want to, you know, potentially go and win this NIT tournament. So. As for Kelly Graves and the women's team, they were closer to getting in. Uh, they were listed as one of the first four teams out, but. Ultimately, it's the same, uh, you know, same thing for them. It's a WNIT destiny. Uh, it actually just came out right as I'm recording this that they will host North Dakota State at Matthew Knight Arena on Friday night in the first round. So, um, another another home game for the Ducks, another another basketball game at MKA, which will be fun to go to. But um, once these seasons are officially over and there's no more tournament games left for either team, I plan to do sort of a, a season wrap up and take a look at where each team goes as we look into the future kind of what happened this season, what might have went wrong. At the moment, though, I think it's fair to say that, you know, we will tune into these NIT games, but, um, you know, it feels like there there were some missed opportunities for, for both of these teams. I know there's a lot of talent on, on both rosters. They've dealt with injuries. Actually, both teams really struggled with injuries this year, and they were shorthanded for, you know, large portions of the year, which which really was their downfall. Um, but in the end, they, they couldn't get it done. And I know that both teams are probably frustrated that they did not get into the tournament and they hope to turn it around next year. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you again to Jeff Schwartz for coming on and talking about the ducks and the NFL draft. It's always great to get a perspective from someone who played in the league for so long. Again, Oregon's pro day will take place on Tuesday. Probably as you're listening to this, it's taking place over at the Mashovsky center. So um, head over to Duckswire for all the coverage on that, anything that you're interested in looking into. And then spring practice starts on Thursday for the Ducks. They will practice on Thursday and Saturday before taking off for spring break, so we will have everything you need to know about that as well. I will be back on with another episode early next week. I'm having Tyson Alger from the I-5 Corridor on, and we're going to talk about football and you know everything Oregon, everything there is to talk about with the Ducks, so... We are actually recording that on this coming Wednesday, so I'm excited to see what comes of that. 
Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at www.duckswire.usatoday.com or follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We will talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy. <laughs>